Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. What I want to do, there we go. What I want to do is just read a section um, of 1 John, looking at a word, and then we're going to come back and unpack um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. But as you're standing there, just follow along with me. In fact, why don't you add your voices to mine? Because uh, I want you to see a word that we're kind of chasing through the text here. 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. Just read along with me. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You may be seated. Rather than just jump into the text this morning, let me switch over here. Rather than just jump into the text this morning, I wanted you to see this word that keeps reoccurring. Because it is at the heart of the verse that we're, of the passage that we're looking at in 1 John chapter 5, and it is the word overcomes. In fact, you see it here in chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, John's about to give you three words that he's repeated from the beginning over and over again. These are three ideas that we're going to see. But here they're tied to the word overcomes. The three words are believe, love, and obey. They've shown up in chapter 2. He kind of unpacked them. In chapter 3, he gave you two of them. In chapter 4, he gave you two of them. And now he's engaging in these words, but tying them to the word overcome. Now, here's what I want you to know, okay? Some of you, uh, all of you, probably know the word behind the word victory and overcome. It's a Greek word. And I'm going to teach you a Greek word you already know. How cool is that? In fact, there's a good chance that some of you are wearing this Greek word in some way, shape, or form this morning. Here you go. Just look at this word for victory. It is the word, see it here in the transliterated, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. What's the word that's underneath the word victory? How many of you are wearing Nikes this morning? Can I see your hands? Somebody, there you go, a few in the back. You guys are overcomers. I bet you didn't know that yet, right? Because see, that same word is used here. It's just transliterated a little, it's translated a little differently because it's a verb or it's an action. Overcomes is the word Nike. It's the word victory. You could almost read this passage this way. For everyone who has been born of God is victorious over the world, and this is the victory that has made us victorious over the world, our faith. So just know this. These three ideas, believe, love, and obey, are how we begin to see victorious living, or what I would call being an overcomer. So these are four marks of the overcomer. And we find them here. Uh, Love is talked about in two ways, the love of God and the love of others. But there's your words again. Believe, love, love, obey. These ideas tell us how to be overcomers. Now, for just a moment, 
If you've ever faced something that's discouraging, if you've ever faced a spiritual challenge, if you've ever faced a temptation that you keep falling to, even if it's just a mental uh, temptation you keep falling to, then this message should encourage you because these are steps, these are marks for how you become an overcomer. The first one is believe in Jesus fully, love God completely, love others purposefully, and finally obey God joyfully. All of these find themselves in our text. So there we are in, 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 in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, and here is what we read. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Verse 5. Now, I added verse 1 and verse 5 together because I want you to see the same word, believes, is used there, but it talks differently, just slightly differently, about who Jesus is. And that is why we say you must believe in Jesus fully. In fact, let's just talk about two of these words. The first one is the word Christ, for that's what we see in verse 1, which, by the way, is the Greek version of the word Messiah or the anointed one. Here is what you know, that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Now, whenever you see the Messiah show up in the Bible, he was always meant to be followed. He was meant to be, whichever direction he was going, you were supposed to follow him. You were supposed to submit to him. He was the anointed one that God would send. And so we say, listen, the first thing you need to know about Jesus is you got to follow him. By the way, Jesus himself says that throughout the scriptures. He says that to the disciples repeatedly. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Numerous times to the disciples, he says, just follow me. And this is really important um, because, let me just talk to some of our kids who are here. Uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It sounded like we were celebrating graduation today, but shortly you're going to be going back to school, okay? And when you go back to school, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be saying, just say this with me, follow me. Just say it with me, follow me. They're going to be telling you to follow them. And if that isn't enough, let me just fast forward up a little bit. Um, now, you're, uh, now you're in middle school or high school, and now you're on Instagram or TikTok, and everybody is saying what? You can say that like you mean it, okay? Everybody is saying what? That's exactly right. But here's what you must understand for the overcomer. The only follow me we really need to pay attention to is that we would follow Christ. Or, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ in 1 Corinthians, we would follow those who are following Christ. You just don't follow everybody. So we see this in this first part of the text. He is the Messiah, so he is to be followed. But not only that, we should follow him as the, the Christ because he is, right? But notice something else. The text says, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There the phraseology changes. And here, I would just add, we should live like he's God's son. We should live like he's God's son. Now, the false teachers of John's day, to whom he's writing, he's writing addressing this, the false teaching, they'd messed up their understanding of who Jesus was. They said he was nothing but a spirit. He wasn't human. Sometimes in our era, people have said he's only human. He was, isn't really deity. He really isn't God. The truth of the matter is, the scriptures reveal that he is both. He is fully God. He is fully man. But because he is fully God, we should live like he is God's son, which means we're not embarrassed, right? When someone says, you're a Christian, like, why don't you do that? Are you a Christian? We should live like the one we're following is God's son. 
I mean, we were, it was great. Um, Stephen was leading us in that this morning. We were remembering that he is the one and only son of God. We should live like he's God's son. There is no embarrassment. There is no hesitancy. There is no, I'm not going to speak because it's going to put me on the spot. There is an acknowledgement that this one is the son of God. In fact, when I was first working out this point, I had words like recognize, acknowledge. And I kept thinking, that's not enough. It's not enough to acknowledge he's God's son. It's not enough to recognize he's God's son. It must change the way that we live, that we are followers of the very son of God. And I was thinking of, of how Jesus even addressed that. Remember Jesus in Matthew, 16, in Matthew 16, when certain people are starting to depart from him and not follow him? He says to the disciples, he said, who do the crowd say that I am? And they give him a bunch of answers, okay? Their answers are wrong. John the Baptist, a prophet, something else. And Jesus asked Peter this, he asked the disciples this question, and Simon Peter answers, okay? But who do you say that I am? Did you just see what happened? He said, listen, that's what they say, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ. See, there it is. Follow the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter gets both of these things. John comes back and reviews both of these things when he writes, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus does not deny the fact that he is the Son of God. He flat out says, you're right, Peter. You got it right. Now, the thing I love about Peter is that Peter got it right, but Peter didn't always live like it was right, remember? Here is the son of the living God. So if you're thinking, well, Phil, I can't do that because I failed. I tried to do it. I tried to follow. I denied Christ. I didn't take a stand when I should have. I just want to tell you the Bible's full of that. It's full of people who didn't do it even though they knew it to be true. And yet, God restored them and forgave them. Peter himself will deny that he knows the son of the living God. Three times, as a matter of fact. And yet, when uh, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, Jesus said, so I prayed for you, Satan sifted him like wheat, he denied Christ three times, yet Jesus comes back and restores him and says, listen, Peter, I know you lacked courage the first time, but listen, when you grow old, you will play, reach out your hands, they will wrap your hands, they will take you where you do not want to go. Peter, you will follow and even die a martyr's death because you recognize me to be the son of the living God. Here's what I want you to see about Jesus. It's, it's an incredible thing that you and I must believe in Jesus fully, which means two things. We follow him as the Christ and we live like he's God's son. When someone says, who is Jesus to you? You shouldn't only speak of the fact that you have this personal relationship with him, but you should say he is the son of the living God. Now, uh, one writer has said, listen, for John, true faith, that is what we believe, always leads to love for God and others, and true love always results in obedience. Notice how the writer picked up these three ideas again. True faith, belief, love of God, love of others, and also obedience. So that brings us to the second one. We must love God completely. We must believe in Jesus fully, so you struggle to be an overcomer in certain areas of your life. Here's the first thing, believe in Jesus fully. Here's the second thing, love God completely. And just let me show you that in the text as well. Chapter 5, verse 2. Actually, in verse 3. 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So there we see it twice, the intentionality of loving God. But we just don't love God kind of intermittently. We are to love God completely. Now, for just a moment, it came up on this great statement by John Stott in my study this week. Because it shows you that we have brought our, remember we talked about this before, we do not define love by the way our world defines it and slap it on the Bible. And the Bible, and the world defines love as a pretty much emotional experience. What I didn't, hadn't made the connection on is this, that not only do we think of loving other people as an emotional experience, but we sometimes think of loving God as an emotional experience. And while it is true that there are certain emotions in loving God, it is not based upon that. It's not the foundation of that. In fact, Stott said it this way, love for God is not an emotional experience so much as a moral commitment. Loving God is not so much a moral experience so much as a moral commitment. And let me see if I can explain that. That is because we are commanded to love God. What are the first two commandments? This, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is a moral commitment. I will do whatever I can to love God better. It doesn't mean I wait to feel something and then say I'm going to love him. In fact, um, if you follow Christianity anywhere over the course of the last decade, you know that there are numerous Christian leaders that now are doing what they call deconstructing their faith. They're saying, listen, what I believed in the past isn't what I believe anymore. In fact, I'm not even sure I believe there's a God anymore. I don't know the causes of all of that, but I'm guessing that some of that is based upon the fact that they saw their love for God too much as an emotional experience and not enough as a moral commitment. The Scripture gives us this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So with that in mind, let me just unpack for you a couple ways that we demonstrate or show our love for God. Here's the first one, okay? Our love for God is revealed through our priorities. So rather than say, okay, if it's a moral commitment, Phil, how do I know that I'm loving him well? The first way is is simple. It's our love for God is revealed through our priorities. And our love for God is confirmed by our obedience. But let me just start with the priorities first. Um, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' teaching there in the Sermon on the Mount uses the words love and hate back to back. And he uses the words love regarding the master or, or God and regarding what I'm going to call priorities or another way to call that is what we might call possessions, okay? And just notice how he says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other. See, it's an issue of priority or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and possessions. Now, some of your translations render that with the word money, but I think it's actually broader than that. I think it has to do with the things we possess. So let me give you three things we possess, okay? Um, and, and so I'm gonna kind of divide you so, so you can say them with me, okay? Over here, I want you to say time, say time. Time, over here in the middle section, say the word talents. Over here in this section, say the word resources. Okay, so here we go. These are the things we possess. These are the things we possess. You got it. 
It's not so simple as to say, well, it's just what I do with my bank account. It's far more than that. You and I possess these things, and the way that we spend these things reveals what we really love. It reveals whether God has a priority place in our life or not. Let me just take talents. Who had talents? Where were my talents section? Right here. Let me just talk to you guys for a second. The rest of you can listen in, okay? Talents, my talented people, okay? Here's the thing you need to know about talents, right? When you use your talents, do you use them for the glory of God or do you use them for the glory of self? You say, well, I want to use it for the glory of God. Thanks. Somebody answered. That's great. You were listening, okay? Glory of God, but here's how you know if it's for the glory of self. If you use your talent and you wait or want to be recognized, I'm just telling you, you're probably looking for the glory of self. And I say that by way of personal confession. Um, We long for the applause of earthly applause more than heavenly applause. We long to know that something was recognized. And that has to do with the fact that when we used a talent, we wanted to know that our talent was recognized. And that's a reference to the fact that you love your possession, your talent, more than you love God. How about my time people? Where was time? Time over here. Yeah, my time people. Just think about this for a second. Do you spend your time like it's your time? Or do you spend your time like it's God's time? We should, thank you. I love kids answering this, all right? Uh, the adults have gotten, you know, your mom and dad, they just got so mature they don't answer me anymore. So that's, uh, so, so here's the thing. We should spend our time like it's God's time. Like, it isn't even the content of what we're watching. It's really the fact that we just aren't thinking of spending our time like it's God's time. And I get it. We're distracted. Uh, just, Just for a moment, if you haven't done this yet, set your phone to screen time, okay, and see what happens. And then just let the Holy Spirit convict you for what you see, okay? Here's the second idea. The final idea over here is resources, right? So that was you guys, right? Resources. Just let me talk to you for a second. When you say you cannot serve God and your possessions or your resources, just let me ask the question this way. Do you find in your resources one of two things? Satisfaction, I'm going to buy this and then I'll have it and then I'll be satisfied, or security, Like, if if only I had that much, then I'd be secure. I just want to tell you that when I look at this text, you can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and your resources. If you find the meaning of life in the fact that you bought something and you think you'll be satisfied, or or you have enough that you think you'll be secure, I'm telling you, there's been a shift of your priorities Here's the idea again. Our love for God is revealed through our priorities. And those priorities are, whether they are, say it with me, time, or, that's right. All of those possessions reveal where your priorities are. And that's really important because you just learned that you can, you can say whether or not you're loving God well based upon those three issues alone. You can begin to say, I can tell that I'm loving God or I'm not loving God. And it doesn't really matter experientially what you're feeling as the diagnosis of whether or not you're loving God well. Here's the other idea in the text. 
Our love for God is confirmed by obedience. That's right. Our love for God is confirmed by obedience. And you can take any one of the commands that the Bible gives and ask yourself, are you confirming that you love God by keeping those commandments? And sometimes even, well, there's plenty of commandments in the Scriptures, sometimes the Lord is impressing on our hearts something to do. And, and you just got to know that when you keep denying that, when He's saying, hey, call this person or talk to this person or, or just offer help to this person or, or, or I want you to engage with this individual in such and such a way or this organization in such and such a way, when God's laying that on your heart to do and you're denying it, pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back, I just want to tell you that you're not obeying what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do. Our love for God is confirmed by our obedience. And watch this. And we see this with two phrases in 1 John chapter 5. When we love God and obey His commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Two different words. The first word, obey, is the idea of producing or, or uh, doing something. It means that you're just not sitting there. You're actually engaging in doing and producing. Out of your love for God, it's producing obedience to His commandments. Whatever God would ask you to do, it's being produced out of that love for God. But the second word, keep, is another word. It's the word guard, the word attentive. It's, it's, uh, it's like someone is watching, okay? Someone is watching. How many of you guys have a watchdog at home that barks, okay? A few of you, great. How many of you have a neighbor who's got a watchdog at home that barks? Okay. Most of you, all right? Now, I know that's a frustration to you, but that should also be an encouragement to you. Because sometimes they're just barking at something running through the backyard, but sometimes they'd actually be barking at a burglar outside your house, right? The point is this, that there is this, caught in this word, keep his commandments, is an attentiveness, uh, an awareness. uh, um, You're guarding it. You're guarding it, which means you're not easily distracted by everything else. You're obeying, producing, obedience to the commandments of the Lord, and you're also keeping His commandments. You're guarding. You're you're not distracted from those. Uh, Two more. Here we go. Love others purposefully. We're not only to believe in Jesus fully, love God completely. These are marks of the overcomer, right? So these are giving you a little bit of test schedule. Like if you're wondering why you're struggling uh, overcoming, then just come back. Do I believe in Jesus fully? Do I love God completely? Do I love others purposefully? And we see this as well in the text. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. The two are side by side. This shouldn't surprise us. They're always side by side. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Here, they're reversed, but the same idea is there. We love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Um, I took this John Stott statement, and I thought of it in the same way, too, but I've added a phrase. Love for God, and I would add, for others, is not simply an emotional experience so much as a moral commitment. You don't have to feel that you need to love someone to actually say, as a Christian, you are my brother, you are my sister. I don't have to wait on something to happen to love you. It is a moral commitment that I will love you. And the Bible does this really, really well. In fact, we're going to do this together, like right now, okay? So if you're, a, if you're one of our kids who are in here today, this is your part to participate, right? So um, 
In 1 Corinthians 13, we find 16 different ways that demonstrate our love, okay? So I just want you to read the passage with me, okay? Here we go, verses 4 and 5. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, you just saw what the moral commitment of love looks like. Now, since my kids are really honest, right? Um, the kids that are here are speak the truth kind of they just kind of blurt it out, which is great, okay? Just take a look at this page, verses four and five, and tell me which one of those words you think you most need to work on. Now, this is important. We're not gonna tell which word your mom and dad need to work on, okay? But this is the words you need to work on. Which one of those words? Are you patient, kind? Sometimes are you jealous? Are you boastful? Are you proud? Which one? Just, just help me out, Okay. Somebody, lots of kids over here. Which one of those would you say, I need to do this one better? Right here, yes, there's a hand. Yes, go ahead. Patient, good, and next? I missed it, help me out, shout it out for me. Which one can you love better? Nice, Nice, kind, yeah, that'll work. Nice and kind, that's great. Uh, Yes, right here. Love, yeah, you can love better too, which is great. Uh, Right here, yes. Patient, okay. Yes, here. I missed it. Okay, great. I still missed it, but that's okay. I'm a grandpa, okay. Somebody over here, yes. Great, kind. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Okay, do me a favor. Adults, you just saw how wonderfully transparent kids were, okay? So guess what? Now it's your turn, okay? Which one of these do you need to work on? Just raise your hand and shout it out. First page. Pride, thank you, yes. Patient, good, somebody else. No record of wrongs, great. You're doing a great job, but there's still some adults who you probably have not become perfect in your loving of others yet, okay? So go ahead, shout it out for me. Good, good, over here. Okay, great. Now, some of you say, Phil, I don't like to talk in public like that. Great. So what you need to do is look to the person next to you right now, okay, and tell them which of these you need to work on. So everybody do that right now. Which one you need to work on? Which one you need to work on? Uh, Both on your left and on your right. Don't leave anybody out of this, okay? Perfect. That's great. Okay. Now you know what you're supposed to work on. Okay. Let me just give you two and I'll apply them. Okay. So this is kind of how I would do it in my thinking. And I'm encouraging you to do it too. Because it's one thing to make a confession this morning and then forget it this afternoon. Okay. So here's what I want you to do. Whichever one you just confessed, here's how I'd like you to think about it. Take a moment when you get home this afternoon, write the word down and say, this is the word I'm working on. And then write a brief idea or definition with it. And then 
find a scripture that matches it. You say, I don't know where to go, okay? I got two words for you. Google it, okay? You'll find it, okay? Just say, what does the Bible say about patience? You're going to find way more scriptures than you need to know. All you have to do is say, what does the Bible say about? Bam, lots of verses to look at, okay? So here's how I would do it, okay? Just two examples. Love is patient, love is kind. Love patiently. Play the long game. Don't expect an immediate response, right? Because that's patience, right? That means that when I am loving my wife well or my children well or when they're loving me well, I am loving and I'm not expecting that immediate response. Therefore, I shouldn't even be frustrated. Because why? Because my love should be patient and play in the long game. I don't, I don't need a response to something. I'm not dependent upon it. Why? Because love should be for me a moral commitment. As I love God, I should love others. And therefore, I don't need the response back. I can be patient. Or how about this one? And, and I'm just thinking again of, of, um, of the fact that we would not necessarily be looking at a response. I'm thinking of Ephesians, um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So when I looked up, where is God patient? Guess what I saw? Um, the text says there that God is patient, not wanting any to perish. Which means that when people said, hey, if the Lord said he's returning, they were saying to Peter, how come he hasn't come back yet? And Peter says, listen, God is patient. He isn't, he's waiting on you to respond to him. And that's how you get there, 2 Peter 3, 9. How about this one, love kindly. When you're mistreated, don't return evil for evil. When you're mistreated, don't return evil in return. And you say, well, where did you get that in the Bible? Simply this, I Googled it, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Which means that we struggle with kindness when someone wasn't kind to us. In fact, if, uh, if you say, well, yeah, but you don't know the kind of anger that people have at me or that my family has at me, and that's why I can't be kind, then you haven't read verse 31. Because verse 31 lists six different words for anger, uh, putting away uh, wrath and malice and evil speaking and slander, six different words that describe for you the way that someone's angry at you. And then verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. So if we're to be loving others purposefully, we can love patiently, we can love kindly. And here's what you do. Whichever one you just turned and confessed, go home and work on it. Don't simply say, well, I confessed it in church, so it's taken care of. No, it isn't. Love purposefully. Write the word down, and this week, work on that word. One final one, and then we're done. Obey God joyfully. Believe in Jesus fully. Love God completely. Love others purposefully. Obey God joyfully. And back again to 1 John chapter 5. Note this at the end of verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Have you ever uh, wanted desperately to do something to follow the Lord or obey the Lord in a commandment, but you found it to be such a burden, right? And this text is saying, but they're not burdensome, which should teach us something that there must be a way that we can obey God joyfully. You say, well, I could obey God joyfully, but you know, but frankly, Phil, life is just so difficult. My circumstances are so hard. Uh, so let's talk about that for a second. Or you might say, I could obey God joyfully, but you know, nobody notices when I do that. Right? We'll, we'll talk about that. There's two reasons, I think, in the scripture that we don't obey God, that, that at least two that the scripture give, that we don't obey God joyfully. And the first one has to do with difficulties. 
And the second one has to do with difficulty, sort of. Okay. Um, first of all, see your difficulties as character building, not debilitating. If you want to obey God joyfully, then you've got to stop looking at your circumstances as if they are debilitating to you. And the scripture is going to open this up in just a second. You're going to see that your joy, obeying God joyfully, is not tied to your circumstances. I'm going to show you that over in Romans chapter 5. Not only that, but say it with me. We, only one person said it like they meant it. Greg said it in the front row. Everybody else was kind of mumbling it out like, I'm not about to say that, okay? I want you to say it again. Not only that, but a little bit better. Now, I need the children to help me out here, okay? So you did a great job showing mom and dad how they're supposed to share. So just the kids, I want you to shout out, rejoice in our sufferings. One, two, three. Very good. A few of you. All right. Now the adults are going to join you. Okay. Not only that, but we. Why? Here's why. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. It has nothing at all to do with avoiding the circumstances. Rather, it's rejoicing in the circumstances because we know this, that where suffering is, there is endurance. And where endurance is, there is character. And where character is, there is hope. You've got to see your difficulties as character building, not debilitating. There is no way that you will ever obey God joyfully as long as you find that you're one of those people that always grumbles and complains about your circumstances. All you're doing is looking at your circumstances and complaining. You, you in confession here, I struggle with that at times. You and I must learn to stop saying and grumbling and complaining about the circumstances. Rather, we can rejoice in them. Here's the second idea. See that Jesus gets more glory than you. That's right. See that Jesus gets more glory than you. Because if you struggle because you're not being recognized, you're not being honored, you're not being respected, none of that feels like it's there, then you and I would go do well to go back to what John the Baptist said when people were leaving his ministry for Jesus. Okay. I love this. Verse 29, this is what he says. John chapter 3, 29. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I could not be more joyful, John the Baptist says. Why? Because he must increase, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. For every moment that John the Baptist was decreasing up to his head being taken off and placed on a platter, this was what John was saying. This joy of mine has been made complete. Jesus must increase, I must decrease. And it's through looking at life that way that we can affirm how we become overcomers. I don't pretend to know the difficulty some of you are facing, but I can promise you this, that in spite of the difficulty, there is still the opportunity to find joy through it as long as you are thinking this way. That my difficulties are character building. They're not meant for debilitation. And that Jesus gets more glory than I get. Because those two, um, those two are impervious. Those two answers are impervious to difficult circumstances. Things that we might grumble or complain about. Things that we might be fearful about. Things that we might wrestle with. Things that we might say, I can't handle it anymore. Whatever might be there. If you can answer it this way, 
I can see my difficulties as character building, and I can see that Jesus gets more glory than me. Then guess what? In this, I can obey God joyfully. I can obey God joyfully. And those are the marks of the overcomer. Believe, love God, love others, obey. Believe, love, and obey. Those are the words. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning, to be reminded um, in our short time together how we can be victorious, we can be Nike overcomers. Whatever we're facing, Lord, we can be victorious over. It doesn't mean that we don't go through it. It doesn't mean that we won't be challenged by it. It doesn't mean that life gets easier. But we are promised that we can be overcomers, that you can help us live the victorious Christian life. It's not out of reach. Father, I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would have brought about the application of these truths into lives in various ways. That when it comes to loving others well, that we would do that more effectively. That when it comes to loving you well, we would reprioritize our lives to do that. Lord, I pray that where we've been obeying with, a, um, with an unwilling heart, with a grumbling spirit, that you would help us obey joyfully. And finally, Lord, when our belief might be shaken, that you would restore it to a confidence in who Jesus is, our Savior and the living Son of God. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill. Hill.